right, good morning. How's everybody doing today? You guys good? Yeah? All right, cool, good. I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> it is so great to have John and Jenna uh, actually here with us, you know, and let's just welcome them one more time if we could. Uh, feels like it's been a long time coming and just excited that God brought you here. Fun to have uh, your in-laws here and your sister-in-law also, John, and just welcome you all. Thanks for joining us. I guess you're going to be here for a couple of weeks, so you're going to be like family before you leave. So just dive in and, and hang out with us if you would. Uh, also, um, you know, I, I appreciate Dave sharing just kind of some transparent information about where we are with the mission and, and how things are financially. And I just want to say, like Dave said, too, um, any questions, thoughts, comments, ideas, feedback, don't hesitate. Uh, reach out to John, myself, or anybody on staff. We'd love to talk to you about that. I want to ask you a question, though. Have you ever noticed how famous people just seem to love to make big and grand entrances? Give me a show of hands. Have you noticed that? Famous people seem to love to make, yeah, don't they? And it's almost like the more famous the person is, the bigger and the grander entrance. Am I right? Yeah, for example, I mean, no one is more well-known in the U.S. than the president, right? How, who could be more known than him? And, and when he makes his entrance, I mean, I think it's safe to say people notice. I, I mean, when the president travels, did you know that it's, I found out this week, it's actually classified as a military operation? Yeah, that's true, true. Uh, several cargo jets travel ahead of Air Force One. His motorcade consists of more than 40 cars. I had no idea about that. A mobile hospital is on hand, and a counter-assault military team stands by ready to move into action. I mean, now, I think we'd agree, that is an entrance. Uh, but it's not just the president. I think we expect it from celebrities, too, don't we? You know, I mean, the, the arrivals to the Academy Awards, I mean, they're as exciting as the show, well, more exciting, I think, than the show itself, actually, anymore. I mean, the red carpet, the paparazzis, all the commentary about the dresses, the shoes, the hair, who's with who, who arrives when. But, you know, after talking with some friends about what we thought was maybe the top celebrity entrance of all time, we agreed on one that happened in 2011, I don't know if any of you remember this one. Lady Gaga arriving at the Grammys in an egg. Do you remember that? Yeah, and she didn't hatch, if you will, <laughs> until it was time to, for her to perform. Yeah, interesting stuff. Now, I know not everybody's into the, the Grammys or the Academy Awards, okay? But maybe if you're a sports fan, how do you feel about walk-up music? Do you kind of like walk-up music? You know, when somebody's stepping up to the plate or entering the ring, they play a few lines from a song that relates to that person who's stepping up to the plate or entering the ring. Now, I'm not famous, but I have to confess, okay? I've always thought it would be kind of cool to have walk-up music. So would you guys just kind of like, um, you know, humor me a little bit? Because I actually asked the worship team if they would pick out some walk-up music for me <laughs> and not tell me what it is, okay? So I have no idea what it's going to be, but I'm just going to like walk down the steps real quick right now, and they're going to play the walk-up music, and okay? I should have known that's what they picked. <laughs> very nice, very nice, okay. Oh my gosh, how uncomfortable. Uh, you think we should keep it? Maybe every time I teach, just, just play that music? No, okay, anyway. But the truth is, big name people do tend to make big time entrances. And the funny thing is we're actually surprised when they don't, aren't we? We're actually surprised when they don't. For example, uh, Keanu Reeves, I mean, he's a pretty famous guy, right? But he's well known for doing ordinary things and, and not making big entrances. And people are often shocked when they see him out like buying groceries or maybe, you know, boarding the, the subway train. In fact, as a culture, we're so shocked when we see famous people doing ordinary pedestrian things. We write articles about it. We have news stories about it. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? 
So maybe you're wondering, okay, why all this talk about celebrities and grand entrances? Give me another head if you're wondering why all this. Okay, well, here's why. If we're shocked by Keanu Reeves pumping his own gas, then the truth is we should be absolutely blown away when Jesus makes an entrance. I mean, if we're shocked by Keanu Reeves going to the store like an ordinary human being, we should be absolutely shocked when Jesus makes an entrance. I mean, after all, Jesus is the King of Kings, the, the Lord of Lords, uh, the creator of the universe. He has all power, all authority, and yet he doesn't behave at all in the way his fame would afford him. Not at all. In fact, I would argue that the humility of Jesus may be one of the most shocking realities in human history. I would argue, perhaps, that the humility of Jesus may be one of the most shocking realities in human history. Now, we're in week three of our series, Jesus Is. And, and to clarify who Jesus is, we're looking at the very words of Jesus and the eyewitness accounts we find in Scripture. And Matthew, you know, if you look at the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament is Matthew. Matthew, the former tax collector turned follower of Jesus, tells us what Jesus himself says about the makeup of his own heart. And Jesus said this, he said, I am gentle and humble in heart. I am gentle and humble in heart. Uh, last week we talked about what it means for Jesus to be gentle. And if you were here, you heard that. If you didn't catch it, I would encourage you to, to take a look at it, watch it, or listen to it on demand in the next couple of days. And today I want to ask the question, what does it mean that Jesus is humble? What does it mean that, that Jesus is humble? You know, the Apostle Paul had a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus himself, and he gives us a picture, I think, that can truly help us see and experience the humility of Jesus. Maybe like no other passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. Paul is writing to Christ's followers in the city of Philippi, and, and his writings at this point in, the, in, in this letter to this church in Philippi, it's actually considered to be one of the earliest Christian hymns that maybe they sang when they gathered or recited together. And, and so before this section, this hymn that is about Jesus' humility, Paul encourages us to be just like Jesus and how we treat each other. Okay, so right before this hymn about Jesus' humility, Paul tells us, hey, you know, be like Jesus and how you, you all treat one another. And he writes this, he says, in your relationships, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We could probably just stop there and reflect on that for a while. Now, now, fortunately, Paul doesn't leave the Philippians or us guessing about the mindset of Christ, but he gives us three very powerful examples for how we can better understand the humility of Jesus. And first, the humility of Jesus can be seen in the position he took in choosing to be with us. We can first see the humility of Jesus and how he chose to be with us, that position he picked. Paul says it this way. He says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some scripture uh, translations say, did not consider it something to be grasped, something to hold on to. Instead, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. And what Paul is saying is Jesus himself, who is God, didn't consider that something to be used to his advantage. Jesus didn't lead through his position, you see. Rather, he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. And you see, to be humble is to willingly make yourself nothing, to take the low position. 
And the word most often used for humble in the New Testament is not referring to like a virtue that you kind of take on and put off from time to time when you need it, when you don't need it. It's not like that at all. It's not like a jacket you throw on when it's cool, take off when it's hot. No, it's a state of being. Humility is, is something that you are at your very core. I don't know how many of you have read like Pat, some of Patrick Lencioni's books, some, really some of the best business books on the planet. He wrote a book, Ideal Team Player. He says there's three qualities you want to look for in a team player. He says you want to look for somebody who is hungry, all right, they're, they're willing to step up and do things first. That You want somebody who's smart. That means they have relational savvy. They're good with people. And then you know what he also says? He says, you want someone that's humble. You want somebody that's humble. I love that. And Paul, you see, he's not just describing a quality that a person has. He's talking about a way of life. A way of life. It's who the person is. It's the same word that Paul uses when he tells us this in Romans 12, 16. Don't be proud. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, people that, of low position. Now, it doesn't take long, does it, to think about how much of a contrast this is with our culture, right? Because aren't we often, I mean, let's be honest, aren't we often jockeying for the highest position? Did anybody else feel that way? Like, you know, you're kind of jockeying for the higher position, right? I mean, that's, that's the kind of the way, way of the world, isn't it? I mean, have you ever been to like a preschool performance, maybe for your niece or nephew or a brother or sister or maybe your own kids? And have you ever seen how the parents, I mean, they just like run over each other, right, to get to the front row so they can see, have the best seats in the house. Am I right? And then they pull out their cameras and they film the whole thing and don't enjoy it, right? I remember when we first moved to the city and my son was like 12 or 13 years old. We registered him for Little League Baseball. We got in line at like 4 a.m. over at Hamlin Park just to make sure he had the best shot at being on the best team. It was so important. <laughs> this was Little League. It's funny, I remember about three years ago, uh, walking into a uh, room full of church leaders in New York. It was like a conference. And I remember walking in that room and I was kind of scanning the room, you know, for where to sit. People were sitting at tables. And much to my surprise, right in front of me was an open chair at a table with two of the most respected church leaders in, on the planet. I mean, their name's Christine Kane and Danielle Strickland. I mean, these are powerhouse women, okay? I'm telling you. I, I about like knocked over three people when I saw that spot open just to sit at that table with them. But that's kind of how we are, isn't it? But Jesus, he didn't operate that way. Jesus just, he just didn't operate that way. He was the opposite, and then he willingly took on the lowliest position. What would that look like for you? And get this, it wasn't something done to him. It was the position he chose. I mean, I think we've all had times or situations where we felt gypped, like, okay, it was thrown at us, like we had no choice, right? Where we you know, didn't choose to be humble. We were like humbled, right? That's not what I'm talking about. This past week, I was in Nashville and both of my flights to and from Nashville, second to the last row, right by the bathroom, not even on the aisle. I mean, it was horrible. Probably took me at least an extra 30 seconds to get off the flight. <laughs> but see, Jesus, he just didn't care about that stuff. He didn't care about that stuff. And he emptied himself of his divine privilege and glory to become an, an ordinary human being. Do we have any idea what that was like for him? I 
Well, not only did he willingly step into a lowly position, he chose to set aside the privilege that came with that position. He chose to set aside the privilege that actually came with the position that he had. Paul says, by taking the very nature of a servant. A servant. Now, now this one's hard to grasp because even in the flesh of a human being, even though he was in the flesh a human being, he still deserved to be served. He deserved to live a life of privilege, right? He was still the king with all access and authority, right? There was no room he couldn't enter into, no table he shouldn't be at the head of, no political or earthly power that he couldn't exert his authority over, but instead he still chose to be a servant. Now, I know this word privilege gets bantered about a lot these days, but I'm, I'm kind of talking about privilege in the broadest sense, a sense that I think every single one of us probably in this room can relate to one way or another. Because essentially, privilege refers to any special right, advantage, or access any single one of us holds. And I think we all know that there's places all over the world where, for example, women and children just don't have much privilege. They don't even have the right to vote or um, have access to a decent education or spend money. Jesus says this when it comes to privilege. Check, check this out. Two of his disciples, James and John, they came to him one time and they asked to be seated at his left and at his right. Essentially, they were asking for greater power, greater prestige, more privilege. And of course, they thought Jesus was going to set up this earthly kingdom. He was going to wipe out the Romans, right? They just weren't quite getting it and said, Jesus, let, let, us, you know, let us have that seat at your right and left. Can we, can we work out a deal here? But Jesus responds by saying, you don't, and I don't know the tone. Don't you wish you knew the tone of Jesus? Like, okay, he says, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. I'm assuming they were, sure we can. Jesus said to them, you will drink the drink cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left hand is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. Got to pause right there and just kind of go, ouch. <laughs> I mean, imagine what it was like to be admonished like that by Jesus. Face to face. In front of other people. That wouldn't feel so good, would it? <laughs> and then if you don't think that's awkward, check this out. What happens next? Uh, when the ten heard about this, all right. So James and John ask this question. The other 10, they hear James and John asking that question. They were indignant. Now, I don't know if they were indignant because they wished they'd been the ones to ask the question first or if they're indignant because James and John are asking a really just bad question. But Jesus calls them together. Okay, guys, we need to huddle up. We got to talk. And he says, you know, those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. It's all about who's on top. It's not going to be that way with us. It's not going to be that way in my kingdom. Jesus is saying, hey guys, we've got plenty of examples all around us in our culture of people abusing their privilege and their power. It's not going to be that way in my kingdom. That's earth-shattering stuff right there. And then he says, you know what? Truth is, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. That took the air out of the room. But did you hear how different Jesus' mindset was from James and John? Did you hear how different it was? And I can't help but wonder if we do some honest reflection. I mean, how many of us honestly share the mindset of James and John and not Jesus? How many of us, we actually share the mindset of James and John more than we do Jesus? And I mean, as much as I want my mindset to be like Jesus, I gotta tell you, it's a lot more like James and John. I don't know, I think I've told you before, we've talked about Enneagram here before, right? And it's kind of a personality profile, helps you learn a little more about yourself, some good things and some things that aren't so good. And I'm an Enneagram 3, I think I've confessed that before, it's not an excuse, it's a reality. Enneagram 3s tend to be driven, they want to do well, but sadly, if we're not doing well, if we're not successful, we at least want everybody to think that we're doing well or think we're successful. I know, it sounds awful, doesn't it? We care way too much about image, status, humility doesn't come easy. Unless, of course, I think it might give me status, then I will be humble, which is weird, right? We want to be recognized. We like, we like places of honor to be noticed. We like walk-up music. <laughs> and so Jesus is saying to Enneagram 3s, and he's saying to you, and he's saying to me, and I think he's saying to us collectively today, no, nah, not so with you. Not so with you. That's not going to be your mindset because it's not mine. And you know, we all have privilege or access to some degree, don't we? And Jesus shows us what it looks like to steward our advantage on behalf of others. I mean, to give up the seat at the front or with the important people, to pass the microphone to those who don't have a voice, to advocate for the marginalized with the access that we have. See, look, I mean, we're in Lincoln Park. And I know not everybody that's here lives here, but if you're here today, there's a good chance that your address means that you have some, some degree of privilege. And my question that I'm asking as I've reflected on this, and I want you to ask is, what are you going to do with that? What are we as a church community going to do with it? See, Jesus wants us to use it to serve, not to be served. He wants to steward our privilege on behalf of others. Think about how powerful that could be. In fact, the exchange between Jesus and his friends ends with Jesus saying this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Help me out. But to, like, you could say it louder than that, I think. <laughs> Serve. <laughs> yeah. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And those words right there really bring us to our final example of how we experience Jesus' humility. Jesus displays a radical humility in his purpose. In his purpose. Uh, Paul tells us, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, ultimately, Jesus humbled himself because what mattered most to him was the mission. Yeah, I mean, that was the purpose for which he came, the purpose for which he died. The decision to go to the cross, his ultimate act of humility made it possible for all of us to find our way back to God. And going to the cross was humiliating, it was scornful, I mean, it was shameful, but it was also a loving sacrifice, a relentless pursuit of us, an emptying out and laying down of himself for our sake. And this was not a game-time decision or a last-minute thought. No, this was something planned from the very beginning of time and confirmed 1,000 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah when he said he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus' ultimate act of humility on the cross was an act of incredible love. 
Incredible love. Don't let anybody tell you he was forced. He chose to go. It was an invitation to reconciliation so that he can reinstate the relationship we were always meant to have with God. That's the good news of the gospel right there. Anybody ever ask you, what's the gospel? That's it right there. So Jesus' humility and his posture, his privilege and his purpose makes a way for you and me to experience life to the full. The humility of Jesus makes a way for us to live reconciled to God and to each other and to ourselves. And then there's even more good news because Jesus' humility means he's also approachable. He's so approachable. He wants a relationship with you. And he doesn't want anything to get in the way of that. Do you ever think about that? He, he so wants a relationship with you. He is approachable. You know, uh, a number of years back when we first moved to the city, I was uh, downtown near the loop by the river, and I saw Rahm Emanuel walking by, the former mayor. And uh, my super sleuth, I guess, skills must have been quick enough. I was actually able to approach him, shake his hand. We had a short conversation before two very large men that could have folded me in half in a matter of seconds were breathing down my neck, and it ended the conversation. But that's kind of what you expect, isn't it, from somebody important? I mean, it's tough to get to them, right? They're, they're usually got security. They're not that approachable. But see, that's not how it is with Jesus. The king of the universe humbles himself, moves towards us, and removes all barriers. In fact, Jesus' closest friend and follower, John, describes it this way. Jesus says to us, I, I no longer call you servants. He's saying this to us. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. And a friend is approachable, right? You don't have to make an appointment with a friend. You don't need to give advance notice. You should be able to text them right away, get in contact, you're together, right? That's what it means to be a friend. Author Dane Ortland says it this way, for all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus. See, the bottom line is that Jesus emptied himself and humbled himself so that he could move towards us. And so no matter what your position, no matter what your access, no matter what your influence, Jesus gives you purpose, even purpose to your pain. Whether you feel like a least or a most, in Jesus you belong. In Jesus you have a home. You know that? And so I just want to wrap up here with a question for two different groups of people that I think that are probably in the room today. And, and first, for those who have found their way back to God, for those who have a friend in Jesus, you've chosen to follow him, here's the question I, I want you to think about, and it's this. How can we embody that same mindset? Think about that. Individually, but collectively. I mean, what would it look like for us to have that same gentle and humble heart that Jesus has? What would that look like? How would that change your relationship? What would it look like tomorrow if, you know, I'm gonna, I wanna have that same humble and gentle heart with the folks I interact with tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday? If you go back to that passage we began with, Paul says this, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? We can sit here and talk about it and it's all good, right? It's going home or it's going to work or it's going to play, whatever it might be. What does that look like to have the same mindset as Jesus? See, as his followers were called to be his body, did you know that? His hands, his feet, 
We represent him to our friends, our family. We represent him to um, our neighbors, this community, this city. Think about that. I mean, just, just imagine if we collectively, as a group, as a, as a community of faith, right here in Lincoln Park, kind of became known. Man, that's, that's like a, a group of folks that, you know, they just operate out of humility. I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's just something unique about how they serve. That would make a difference, wouldn't it? I think it would. And to those of you who have not made the decision to follow Jesus, I just want you to know that he so wants to know you. He wants to be known by you. He wants to have a relationship with you so that you can experience the full life that you're always meant to have. He truly does. And you know, in two weeks, uh, we're going to be celebrating people saying yes to Jesus in baptism. John mentioned this earlier. We're super excited about it. We've got a couple people that are already planning to. We're going to bring a big old horse trough in here. We've done it before. It's amazing. It really is. And folks get baptized, and they reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus when they do. And it's interesting. I don't know if you've thought about it this way. I mean, it's a pretty humbling experience. What a great way to put on Christ. What a great way to embody his gentleness, his humbleness. So I just want to challenge you to consider that if you haven't. Talk to me. Talk to John, uh, Jesse, Lizzie. We'd love to help you take that step. But let's have the humble mindset of Jesus. All right, can we do that? Let's do that this week. All right, let's pray. Father God, we come to you today. And we're kind of blown away here by, by you and, and Jesus and how it wasn't about privilege or power or position. It was, it was about humility. And God, the things that we, we long for, we grasp, we, we think will somehow bring us fulfillment. At the end of this, it's so empty. So God, I just pray that we would empty ourselves of those things and we just fill ourselves more with more and more of you and your Holy Spirit. God, help us to truly embody gentleness and humility and reflect you to those around us, God. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.